This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Kevin Garrett and Joe from waxandwick.co explain how they drive traffic from Reddit without being overly salesy. In this episode, you learn how a company drives 93% of their social traffic straight from Pinterest. In this episode, you'll learn which marketplaces they sell in and why they're selling in them, how to work with bloggers to promote your product and get amazing product photos, and why you should have an organic pinning strategy before promoting Pinterest pins. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth, Patrick, Nina, and Kelsey from WallsNeedLove.com. WallsNeedLove designs, prints, cuts, and ships only the finest and freshest wall graphics and was started in 2009 and based out of Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hi, thank you. So packed house. So let's start off by, um, well, let's talk about the store first. Tell us a little bit more about the store and what are some of the most popular products that you guys sell? Sure. Yeah. So we're a home decor store, obviously, and we specialize in adhesive decor. Uh, our big goal is to create a space for artists where they can support themselves by doing what they love. So we take their art and turn that into everyday objects so that more people can enjoy them on a regular basis. So that's kind of a brief synopsis of what we do. Um, we are claim to fame, as you would say, is our wallpaper. That's been our biggest seller for a while now. Um, but some of our best sellers are our mini packs or adhesive like polka dots, um, stripes, stars, all kinds of thing. And then our flagship product is called Easy Stripe, which is an adhesive removable wall striping solution. So it replaces the need to paint stripes. You just put them on, and then when you're done with them, you take them down. Very cool. So let's, um, you know, since we have a packed house today, I don't think I've ever had uh, four guests on the podcast before. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you guys, your roles at, at Walls Need Love, and kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis. Sure, I'll go ahead and start. Um, uh, my name's Elizabeth. I am the VP of Marketing at Walls Need Love. I have been here off and on for probably almost five years. Uh, the only person in the room who's been here longer than me is Patrick. And I'll let him take over in just a second. But I do everything from managing all of our third-party marketplaces to creating the skeletal structure of our marketing program and efforts, and then overseeing any conferences and events that we do. And um, my right-hand woman is Kelsey. And she's indispensable, and I'll let her take over kind of what she does. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, my name's Kelsey. Um, I am the public relations and marketing manager at Walsley Love. I've been with the company for about a year, um, and what I mainly focus on are the brand partnerships with um, some of the influencers that we work with, um, as well as kind of overseeing um, you know, just like the marketing campaigns right now, we're in our back to school phase. So a lot of that we've kind of, me and Elizabeth have headed up as well. Um, and, um, the social media aspect of, of our company as well. Um, I kind of, kind of run. So that's kind of my, my scope of work at Walls Need Love. Uh, this is Patrick talking. Uh, I'm the art director here. Uh, I've been here the longest 
any employee that's still currently working here. And uh, my day-to-day thing is to uh, uh, find artists that we'd like to feature, to reach out to them, to organize their files. I also kind of oversee the overall art and aesthetic of our website and what we produce. And I uh, quality control and manage the production team to make sure that everything prints correctly and gets sent out uh, in a timely fashion. And then um, uh, Nina can talk a little bit more about uh, emails and campaigns like that. But, um, every once in a while, I get to dive into that area and design some of those things too. But um, that's about it for me. Nina just showed up. Say hi, Nina. Hey, I'm Nina. <laughs> She's um, the chief design officer. Yeah, so I work with Liz and Kelsey and the marketing team with um, emails and any outgoing um, marketing efforts that we do, um, anything with Instagram, website graphics, um, and packaging, anything branded. She, she's also our spreadsheet guru. So we end up doing a lot of spreadsheets, whether it's for Amazon or 30s, obviously Shopify. And if we need that done, Nina is the one that has the patience and the know-how to figure that out. So I think we all just mentioned the things we like doing here. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we wear a lot of hats. Um, you know, sometimes it's spreadsheets or, you know, uh, trying to figure out some sort of action to solve a problem. Um, like what I do a lot is I take Photoshop and I take templated files and I run those through actions and those become products and print files. Something like Nina would do would be like working with a um, API guy to figure out how to make our spreadsheets uh, actionable. Um, that's one of the things we've been working mostly on this last year is to take our day-to-day tasks and figure out how we can um, use outside software or some special software coding from a guru like um, this guy Mike we work with to make everything seamless and faster. Yeah, and Kelsey, too, has been tasked with customer customer service. service. Uh, We're a pretty small team, so we do what has to be done, and when the customer service wears Kelsey out, then I take it over, and we have another guy here who's not with us tonight, but if it's anything technical or anything breaks or anything goes wrong or we can't figure out how to make a latte, he's the one who figures out how to do that. <laughs> so we really enjoy having him around. Yeah, it's cool because um, I think one thing you guys touched on was that you mentioned all the things that you guys like doing. And I think that's one of the keys to having a well-functioning team is finding people and putting them in the spots that they either do, they're really good at or they really enjoy doing. So I really want to kind of unpack all the things that you guys are doing in a second. But before we get there, I want to talk about the kind of origin of uh, Walls Need Love. So, I, I, you know, you guys are all members of the team coming on different points uh, during the journey, during the growth of the, the business. Um, but, you know, tell us a little bit about the beginning. Like, how did it all get started? Uh, where did the idea behind Walls Need Love come from? Sure. So we have kind of an infamous story. Uh, our The guy who owned who owns and founded this company, his name is Ali Abrahemia, and he is just a really enigmatic character. He's really a unique guy and a, and a super creative guy. And he was running a vanity license plate kiosk in a mall here in Nashville. And one day, a little old lady came up to him and asked him if he could make a sign for her that said, grandchildren welcome parents by appointment. And he said, for your car? And she said, no, I want it for my wall. And so Walsley Lip was born. Um, he created an e-commerce site right after that. And moved it into his apartment, and then and he brought on our old general manager, um, Chad Harris. And then they started it with the two of them and one other guy and then built it from the ground up. And Patrick came on shortly after that, and then I came on. And by the time 
by the time we were there, it's been probably four or five years now. Yep. When we started, we were still in Ollie's apartment, one tiny room in his apartment. We had we only sold vinyl only decal vinyl. graphics, so like one color cut out, you know, simple shapes and things like that. Yeah, we had 40 different colors and then pretty basic wall decals, like kind of the cheesier spectrum of, of that whole genre. And then... Don't go to bed unhappy. Or yeah. <laughs> tears of rain, rainbow tears. Just weird stuff that we um, we don't really sell anymore. We've kind of moved away from that demographic. But we had that one room and we had one cutter. And then we bought a printer right when I came on, right as Patrick was starting. Mm -hmm. And started printing decals way before we were doing murals or wallpaper really quickly grew out of that room. We, at the end of the day, everyone would stop what they were doing and we would get together and, and package the boxes and get them ready to ship out all like, you know, 20 or 30 orders, which today seems crazy. Um, but then we got bigger and so we moved into another apartment and took over two apartments and then another. And then finally we outgrew the building that we were in. And so we bought a warehouse, which is where we are now. And now we have six printers and two or three cutters and a whole production staff that's a amazing that runs our back of house yep. it's funny that you guys uh, started an apartment and then when you grew you just grew into another apartment i've never heard of <laughs> yeah. uh, a business it doing that the, before say, uh, you know four apartment kind of building it used to be an old house yeah um, in a really cool unique area of nashville yeah. on belmont boulevard which is right near where all the universities are which was really fun. We had a bunch of restaurants and coffee shops right next to us. So when we needed a meeting, we would go across the street and have a cup of coffee. Or uh, it was a fun area. It was a fun place to be at that time. Yeah. So it sounds like you, the team, was hired at least the way you're talking about hired pretty quickly during the right after the inception of the the business. Or was there some timeline that I'm missing here? Because it sounds like did it grow so quickly that you guys needed to or grow the team so quickly? Or what was going on in the early I would days? Say it was about a two year. Uh, it was about two years of a company before it went from three to all of us because the. Um, the big thing that happened, the reason I even got hired initially was that Ali purchased a printer so that we could start doing full color graphics instead of just vinyl cutouts. And so I was poised with the, with the position of creating new products that were full color. And, and um, once we started selling those, that's when everything changed for us. Very cool. So, um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about the different roles that you guys uh, handle at the company. So, Elizabeth, I think you were mentioning that one of the key roles you have is to manage the third-party marketplaces. So tell us a little bit more about these marketplaces that you sell into because this is always a channel that I think a lot of listeners are always or they're always looking to expand their marketing and their sales channels to other marketplaces beyond just their Shopify store. So tell us a little bit more about the different marketplaces that you guys are in. Sure. We actually have quite a few. Um, we're on Amazon. We're on Fancy. We're on Touch of Modern. We're on Wayfair. We're on Howl's. We're on Etsy, Winello, Dot & Bow. We're on a bunch of them. Urban um, Outfitters. Urban Outfitters, yeah. And we're about to move into some new ones that we're really excited about as well. Um, for people who have Shopify accounts, the easiest way to get involved with third parties is to find ones that are already integrated some of our biggest challenges in that arena have been companies that aren't integrated and then integrate later and then having 
to deal with a whole host of issues around that. Um, but it's so it's so different company to company. Um, obviously, Wayfair and Amazon are huge, giant companies, and working with them can be a little bit more challenging. Uh, actually, Nina runs most of the Amazon stuff. She's our Amazon guru here. But smaller ones like um, Fancy and Touch of Modern, they can be really fun to work with. And we get to curate some really awesome collections, and sometimes they pick them, and sometimes we do. And it's a great way for us to bring in extra revenue, but at the end of the day, our focus is always going to be on our actual Shopify store. Mm-hmm. So how do you know which ones you want to to sell into, or is it just any marketplace you can get into, and the more the better? The more the better. Obviously, there are some that are too big for us right now, working with something like Walmart or something, you know, any of those big box retailers are much, much harder and being EDI compliant is important and we're just not ready to take that step. So we have to consider that. We have to consider whether or not we think they reflect our brand. And if they do, then we're willing to move forward pretty much 100% of the time. And margins are a big thing. Margins, yeah, margins are huge. So every one of these you know, third parties are going to expect a certain percentage of a discount. And we've run into some that we just can't work with because we can't. Uh, find a middle ground as far as that goes, but that's that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, I think Elizabeth, you mentioned a compliancy thing uh, that you needed to uh, to adhere to. Can you say a little more about that? EDI. Oh, EDI compliance. Um, EDI is a huge monster, and we we don't fully understand it yet. But EDI isn't the company that we work we're working with isn't actually Shopify compliant, so we weren't able to work with them because we couldn't get it integrated. But the bigger companies want to do that. It's a way to get huge amounts of product into stores very quickly and to manage all of that data. But if you're doing, we do mostly drop shipping. So when a customer places an order on a third party, that third party will let us know and then they'll send us an invoice and then we ship it directly to the consumer, which is great for us and works with some smaller companies. But for companies that are heavily using EDI, it just doesn't make sense for us or for them to collaborate in that way. And so is it just like an easier way and more automated way to, to uh, I guess, share information about your inventory and handling all the orders and the shipping? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So um, when you are looking at all of these marketplaces to to uh, expand into, is there anything consistent or scale? Is there a consistent or a scalable way to enter new marketplaces? Do you have kind of like a, a checklist of things that you need to tick off before you enter marketplace or is every marketplace vastly different? Every marketplace is so different. The the first thing, once you like get all the paperwork signed and all that kind of stuff, the first thing you have to do is start building these enormous spreadsheets of data. And that's that's where it gets really time-consuming and really difficult. And that's why, as I said earlier, if they are Shopify integrated and all of your products can be uploaded automatically and then goes directly through the back end of your Shopify store, it's so much easier. Mm. And I think, uh, Patrick, you're mentioning uh, the, the, the margins obviously have to make sense. Uh, what other deal terms do you have to look at when you are uh, you know, structuring these deals or marketplaces to, to evaluate if it's going to be a good fit? Right. Uh, well, another thing that comes to mind is, um, you know, especially if this is a really popular third-party marketplace, then one of our concerns is going to be, um, are we going to get lost in, in everything else that they're selling? Um, so we really love working with uh, third parties that do flash sales. 
um, because they're always promoting those because they're 72 hours or four days or something like that. And then um, we can also, uh, some of these marketplaces will, um, you can, can, maybe Liz, you can talk more about buying into like promotions and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. So one of the things that's really important to us are the payment terms. So if it's net 30, which means we get paid three days after sale, which is most common, then we can work with that. But some companies will have a net 60 or net 90, which means we don't get paid for three months after the end of the deal, which is obviously not doable for us because we have to reinvest that capital. Um, but we also, what was your, I was saying how like some of the third parties, we can, uh, um, kind of buy programs through them where they, um, Oh yeah. So especially companies like Wayfair and fancy, they'll do a lot of promotion where we can, either give a percentage of the income that we make or just pay an outright fee and then get promotion from them. And if they don't have those programs in place, then a lot of times it's not worth our time to invest in in them because we just won't see the return on investment that we're looking for. And so these uh, features or these, um, I guess, different programs, I think Patrick's what you called them, are they available to any and all uh, vendors that are selling through these marketplaces or do you have to kind of build this in, uh, you know, over time after your partnership has been developed with the marketplace? Yeah, the, the latter. Yeah, you have to build a relationship with them and I think you have to do uh, certain numbers. Yeah, you do. And right now, we just signed on to do a really big promotion with Fancy, which is kind of this modern platform that, that we sell with. And we're, to date, I think we're one of their biggest clients in that regard. And so we work really closely with them and they make sure that our content is is first and foremost on their site, which is invaluable to us. Mm-hmm. And how do you manage all of these, uh, how do you manage all of these different marketplaces, especially when you are trying to run these promotions? Do they ever require you to uh, run a promotion exclusively with them? And, you know, since you have so many marketplaces, do you put everything else on pause while you are focusing on pushing one particular platform? Like, how do you manage all the promotion on all these different marketplaces? A lot of time. Um, most of, most won't require that we pull sales from other places, but we have some that will scour the internet and say, Hey, we found this product for less than, you know, you're selling it on another website for less and you need to either remove it or we can't run this sale. And so occasionally we'll accommodate that or we'll just pull the item from the sale, but it just depends on the platform. Makes sense. Um, so want to move on to uh, conferences. I think that that was mentioned as well. And I, and I believe, Elizabeth, you're also the one that uh, heads up the, the conferences. So tell us a little bit about this. Like, What are the conferences that you guys go to? What are the goals once you get to these conferences? Yeah, we have done a lot of experimenting with conferences, actually. When we first started doing them, maybe my second year of working here, we were doing home and gift shows, which just were a total bomb for us. Our product is new. People don't totally understand it yet. And at home and gift shows, they want to buy your product to sell in their store. And then they didn't want to have to explain it to their customers either. So that didn't do very well for us. So we re-strategized. And I think today, probably our most successful conference was the Texas Society Style Council, which was in Austin, Texas. We went two years in a row um, before they canceled it. But it was a space where we actually ended up collaborating with bloggers, which is how we do most of our marketing. So we go to these conferences, we sponsor them as a brand, and then we get a chance to meet not only big name bloggers, but also new bloggers who are coming up in the world 
of blogging. And then we either provide them with product or we pay them for a service. Um, but we're doing that. And then we also are doing, we're doing a home show here in Nashville this year for the first time where we will actually sell direct to consumer, which we haven't done. So we're excited and nervous about that. And we're also going to a Pinterest specific conference, which has only happened one year before. I think it's a brand new concept, but Pinterest is huge for us. And so we're going to go and we're going to do a demo and then people will pin and we'll see how that goes. But we're also really excited about that. Mm -hmm. And you, because you guys, you said that you guys experiment a lot with different conferences. I think a lot of listeners out there are interested in doing more of these in-person events, but they might not have the team bandwidth or, or the money, you know, the budget to go out to all these conferences. What are some, you know, red or maybe even green flags prior to being at a conference based on what you've read about them, based on what you've you know, seen uh, before going that makes you say yes or no, I'm not going to go to that conference? Well, for us, especially let's look specifically at blogger conferences. For us, we know our demographic. And so if our demographic is going to be at that conference, obviously there's more of a pull for us. Aesthetics matter. Uh, if the aesthetics is what we're going for the people that we're trying to target that's important price is huge um willingness to like work with us and like, yeah sure sure bring in um you know while we're there um and then again with the aesthetics not just the aesthetics of like the people that are going but like um you know you can tell a lot by what someone's website looks like yeah um and then uh, also history like have they been doing it for years um what's the feedback stuff like that yeah Never pay full price for a conference. You can always negotiate that down. Um, they're usually really willing to work with sponsors because they need them. And it's just a really great way to sponsor a blogger conference is a really unique and special way to get to know them and to showcase your product. It's a lot of work. It's exhausting. It's super difficult, but it's always worth it. So when you are collaborating with a conference and you are sponsoring it, uh, you know the baseline thing you get out of it is probably your name and your product kind of all over the conference. But I assume that based on the experience that you guys have, there are more kind of levels to it. There are way there are more ways to kind of milk the the opportunity rather than just you know paying and then getting your name or your logo on the banner somewhere. What what are, how do you you know identify or how do you begin? Uh, I guess, researching or digging into other ways that you can, I guess, customize the conference a little bit more towards your particular product, towards your particular brand? Yeah, it really depends on the conference. When we did Texas Society Style Council, we were actually put in rooms. We slept overnight in these, like, bunked cabin rooms, and we were put with a couple big bloggers. And they ended up becoming really good friends of ours, which is obviously a unique way to do things. That's fairly uncommon. But that was a super effective way for us to get to know them. They're actually still really good friends to this day, and we work with them a lot. Um, it, it really is so different in, at every conference. Mm, makes sense. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about your collaboration with bloggers and working with influencers, because um, you had mentioned that, that was a key way that you guys promote the products. Um, so tell us a little more about how, how, how do you actually, how do you work with uh, bloggers to promote your product? Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, hand it over to Kelsey, who knows the most about this. Yeah, so we, um, a lot of times... Well, we actually just set up an affiliate program, which has actually been really um, helpful for us because I'm not going to lie, <laughs> doing brand partnerships takes a lot of time um, because you want to make sure 
that their aesthetic, um, you know, kind of matches your own. Um, like we would never want to reach out to someone who we didn't feel wanted to use our product or that we felt wouldn't represent it in in the way that we wanted it to be shown. So, um, there's a lot of like background and research that goes into, um, reaching out to them and working with them. And then, um, so the affiliate program has just been really helpful for us because we don't have to necessarily spend the time, um, you know, like going through and saying yes or no to these specific people, we can just put them all in in a program and they become kind of like our cheerleaders almost. Um, And they blog about us based on whatever requirements that we give them Um, or they do some sort of social media post or something like that. Um, And so that's kind of how we're, I think, starting to lean towards how we work with with bloggers. Um, There's still, I mean, every day I'm still talking to at least two or three um, trying to work out some sort of um, campaign with them. Like right now we're doing a room refresh challenge with um, three other bloggers. So we, we challenged them to create or recreate basically a room in their home um, for under $500 of our product. Um, and so that'll go live next week, but it's kind of really exciting to see how these different bloggers kind of take on our products. You know, some do just have just different styles. I mean, we had one that used our easy stripe in just like a really interesting way. And we have another that's doing, um, a lot of like throw pillows and like fabric sort of stuff. So I think the partnerships are just really interesting and you can actually get a lot of different, um, perspectives, um, on your brand that you yourself might not be able to communicate to your consumer. So I think that brand partnerships are important and definitely, um, a lot of fun. I think one of the, my favorite things that we get out of working with bloggers is, uh, we get really great photos mm-hmm. uh, that we can use in our own marketing and advertising. Um, cause it's hard to like, you know, set up photo shoots and stuff for every kind of product that we have. And like she was saying, uh, people's different aesthetics and stuff, um, they're going to do things with them that we didn't even think of. And we get these stunning photos back that, you know, mm-hmm. will turn into promoted pins or ads on yeah. on uh, Instagram or Facebook. Or and, ad- yeah. and especially if you're giving them just the product for it, like it's a no brainer because like, like Patrick said, you're getting these images that you can then use in your marketing strategies that, I mean, I know for us being a small company is really helpful because we don't always have the time to, you know, to, you know, go out on photo shoots and, and recreate these giant sets of of products. So, and the world of blogging has changed so dramatically since, even just since I started here four or five years ago, when I first started, I remember we were working with bloggers, kind of sending them stuff and trying to figure out what they were going to do with it. Not really sure where it was going to go. And then we had this one who was requesting a paid post and it was like $500 or something. We were like, Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's so much money. I can't believe they would ask something like that. And now there are bloggers that make anywhere from a thousand to $10,000 off of a single post. And we have Mm -hmm. to decide whether or not it's worth it to us to pay that much money. And usually it is, it's a huge, driver of traffic for us that's where we get a good percentage of our traffic but each blogger wants to collaborate in a different way and we have to remember that this is how they make their living this is their job they're professionals they do this 
all the time and they do it well and we have to pay them accordingly. So keeping up with that world is a full-time job and Kelsey does a really a really good job of making sure that she's always on top of that. Yeah, so speaking of these um, <clears throat> new business arrangements that you have to create with these bloggers, um, two questions about that. Uh, what first one is about the, the photography. I never thought about that before, but uh, I really like how you guys, you know, based on what I've been hearing so far, you find different ways to, I guess, get multiple benefits out of one activity or one, I guess, marketing strategy. Uh, so with, the, when, with regards to the photos, do you need to include that in the deal anywhere to make sure that you get the rights to the photos like what are how do you make sure that there's no issues there absolutely um we always disclose that up front um we talk with a blogger and ask them if that's something that they're willing to do and and usually most of the time they are 100 percent more than happy for you uh for us to use their images um but again it depends on the blogger um but you always want to disclose that and then make sure that you have it in writing and in a contract or some sort of, of way that they, you know, you know that it's an agreement that you've made. So I would, yeah, definitely make sure that that's a conversation before you enter into any sort of agreement with them. And we give credit wherever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. So the 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 rights to the photography, uh, the obviously the payments or whatever it is they're getting in, in return. Are there other, I guess, key terms that you have to keep in mind if you are if you if there's a listener there's a listener out there that's thinking about trying this for the first time. What what do they have to keep in mind when they are structuring a you know a business deal with a blogger or influencer? Yeah, it's one of the biggest. Patrick just mentioned this, and he's totally right. One of the biggest challenges is a timeline. If you for example, we had some people that we wanted to, that we were working with on a back-to-school promotion, and they were wonderful, and they did an incredible job for us, but we hadn't communicated specifically our timeline to them, and it ran over, and we weren't able to use the images for what we wanted to use them for, which was obviously kind of a bummer. So if you're going to do something like that, you need to communicate very clearly and put it down in writing what your timelines are, when you need it when you have to have it and make sure that you can get it on time. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, how, how do you, um, what, what else do you have to do to make sure that it's successful uh, from your end? Like, how do you make sure that, uh, what do you need to prepare for the blogger? Like, what, what kind of, I guess, packaging or communication do you have to give to the blogger to make sure that they are you know, hitting all the goals that you want them to hit? Yeah, um, I think a lot of times, you know, I like to get them on the phone um, and just kind of chat with them initially because that's the easiest way to really first off start a relationship with them um, but also explain our product and kind of the um, the major points that we want to like want them to talk about or and stuff like that um, so I would definitely say that a phone call is always going to be a, a great way to, to make sure that you're um, communicating exactly what you want from them and what they need from you um also like you know as as i've been doing this um for several months now i've noticed you know you also have to know your own time is valuable um i think a lot of times we think that these influencers have huge followings and we want to make sure that we're doing everything um for them, which is great. And I think you should totally, you know, give them a great experience, just like you give your customers. Um, but also don't let them waste your time. Cause there are a few that like, just don't answer you back or don't 
you know, follow up with you. And sometimes that's a bummer, but um, I think it's important to know, like, there's another opportunity out there. There might be a better one, um, a better fit for you and your brand. Um, so, I mean, that's just a little nugget of advice I would give for anyone, too, that might not be doing any kind of, you know, influencer marketing but wants to is to know when to, I guess, look at other avenues. Not mm. other avenues, but, you know, other when bloggers. No. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because mm. your time is valuable. You know, I, you don't want to waste time. I think uh, um, something that the audience probably like to hear, too, about how we further you like you know these people are obviously blogging on their own blog but um we do blogger spotlights and i think that's yeah. a good way that we cross brand and maybe kelsey can talk yeah about so we we definitely too as well like kind of as not even incentive but just in general to cross promote kind of the projects that we do with them is we um you know kind of we interview them just kind of like we're doing with this podcast right now and we talk about you know their design process and their style and all of that and I think that that's actually really fun because our audience gets to see a glimpse into these people that seem almost like internet celebrities but um, they kind of get a glimpse into their lives and then Nina and Elizabeth and I work together to create these really awesome newsletter campaigns kind of around this idea of meeting the blogger um, and which is a lot of fun so I think too like giving them you know, incentives like yep. that is always yep. is always really helpful, and it's Those beneficial. Those work with us again. And exactly, again. and it's beneficial too. It's not it's not difficult, you know, to like give them accolade when you know that they've done a great job, and and you have enjoyed working with them. So. Yeah, I think um, you, you based on what you're talking about, the the you create content not just around the product itself, but you know featuring these artists, featuring these influencers and bloggers. I think a lot of uh, store owners out there, especially when they're starting out, they want to create content specifically and directly related to the product itself. You know, talking about the product in their blogs and their emails. Is it does does the content that's not you know directly obviously this tied to your product tied to the brand because these are people that are part of the community that are part of your uh you know your, your brand the advocates essentially but is it is it as effective as you know content that's a, that's more directly tied to to the product itself um i would say yes yeah. um i mean the blogger email or the spotlight emails that we have done in the past have had some of the highest open rates for our email campaigns. Um, I think the more native and the more um, authentic you can make the content for the customer, the better. Because they don't feel like they're being constantly sold to. Because there's only so many ways and, and times you can write about how your product does this or that without it just then starting to sound disingenuous. Yeah, and we have a lot of products on our site, like thousands of products. And when you take someone who is in a position of authority, like a big blogger, and they say, here's how I took these products and made a collection out of them. Here's something that you can see. It's all the pieces are together. People can relate to that. They say, oh, I like that collection. I can buy either all of that or pieces of that to make it work in my own home. And it helps them make the purchase. 
Mm, makes sense. So I think uh, Kelsey, you're saying earlier about well, a couple of things you're saying to to uh, make sure you respect your own time, make sure you say no, and also filtering out influencers. And one thing you mentioned was that you do the research uh, to make sure that they're actually interested in your product. And I, I like this because I think when a lot of people are starting off in influencer marketing or working with bloggers, they just need they just look for a blogger influencer that has demographic that has a target market they're going after. But you guys seem to go a step beyond that and say they have to have the audience but then on top of that they also have to be organically or naturally interested in your product or products like yours so how do you what research goes into this like how do you identify uh you know i guess as quantitatively as you can what influencers what bloggers uh are actually interested in your product that will come across as naturally interested in the product when they talk about it yeah um I would say there, there's several different ways. The big um, one is if they contact us. Right. <laughs> if they, um, we get that a lot. We have a, a lot of influencers that contact us directly. Um, and that is obviously probably the number one way that we know that this person is interested. Yeah. Um, another great kind of um, tool is tapping into influencer marketing management companies. Um, sometimes they can be a little difficult to work with as far as like negotiating terms and stuff like that, but they're really great at um, helping connect you with influencers that they, that they manage that they know would be a good fit for you that are interested in working with you. Um, so let's actually move on to uh, social media. So I heard a couple of things mentioned um, when you guys introduced yourselves. I heard Instagram, I heard Pinterest. So let's start with uh, maybe Instagram. What's the strategy behind uh, your Instagram uh, marketing? How do you guys build up your profile? How do you drive that? How do you drive the audience from, from Instagram over to the site? Okay, yeah. I think um, the first thing that we really started to do with our Instagram was we wanted to make sure that it reflected our brand. And I think all of us can say that branding is probably one of the most difficult things to do. Um, and so we really had to think about like what images that we wanted to have on our Instagram. What, what did we want to show our customer base? Um, and I think that was like the number one thing that we thought about, um, and so that strategy, just even implementing, you know, better photography, better. Um, yeah, if you go back in the past, even before Kelsey's here, you know, we get an image from a customer and we'd just be so excited to have <laughs> someone sending us a picture of the product up that we would post it mm-hmm. and the lighting's not good and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So now we're better at filtering yeah. through what we get or what we take ourselves Mm-hmm. And we have a larger pool of better images to pull yeah. from, especially with the yeah. amount of bloggers yeah. that we work with now, which yeah. gives us a wealth of images to use at any time. Yeah. Even the smallest bloggers typically take very interesting mm. photographs. Yeah, I like this idea of uh, having these like standards, right? When in a, and not, not just Instagram, but when you're talking about branding, there are these standards that you have to uphold. Otherwise, your brand starts to kind of get that get diluted, starts to get deteriorated. Is are these standards? Are these um, I guess criteria? Are they written down somewhere? Like, how do you know? How do you make sure that there's this filter that <laughs> I can hear you guys laughing? Is this, yeah. is this something that you guys do a lot? Thing the other day, you know, it was just like uh, Stevens is our analytics guy, and he's like, "Hey, all these like light and airy, you know, light." 
photos on Instagram get the most likes. So we're like, okay. let's, let's put <laughs> those is. kinds of photos up. Um, it's, it's an unspoken rule. And I, Kelsey's really good about curating our aesthetic and making sure that it all stays in line and on point. And that's really what it is. It's about creating the aesthetic that we want and then making sure that our images fit within it. Mm, so it's un- it's pretty much unwritten, but it's something that you guys all understand and you're all kind of the filters um, yourselves. Yeah. To, to be fair, that's how most things are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess a good point to make at this juncture is that um, we're all managers of our own department. So um, whatever we are doing, we we put the people that are good at it in the position. So, for instance, if it's Kelsey picking out Instagram, we know and trust that she's going to follow the aesthetics. If it's Nina doing an email branding thing, there's no question that it's going to fall in line with our branding uh, standards, if that makes any sense. Mm, it does. So once you, you know, you guys have obviously built up a following on Instagram, over 10,000 followers on there, lots of definitely beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, 10.2. So you guys are (laughs) cracked. Congrats. Um, So obviously, great pictures, lots of engagement on there. So how does this, you know, obviously an audience is great on on a platform, but at the end of the day, what you're looking at is how do I drive this traffic actually to the site, check out the products, to check out and learn more about the brand. So what do you do do on Instagram to encourage people to check out the, the store, to go beyond just the Instagram profile? I mean, I think that's the great thing about our product is that it speaks for itself. Once you see it, you want to recreate it. You think, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, here's this cool thing I can do myself. The wallpaper is removable. It's adhesive. I can put it up. If I don't like it, I can take it down. I don't have to paint stripes anymore. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. They see the product. They see the full completed room, what it, they can envision the end result of it. And then they go and they buy it, which is amazing. Um, and we have really great um, followers because if you look at any yeah. a lot of our comments, most of them are just, hey, at so-and-so, this is totally for you. you know? <laughs> um, so I think that helps. And then with our really, you know, with our really uh, popular pins, we turn those into promoted pins, um, you know, so that people can, that, you know, is an ad. So that would, if clicked on, take them directly to our website. Yeah, our best Instagram and Pinterest do that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, let's talk about Pinterest. So on there also, you know, 13.7 thousand followers. So congratulations there as well. Thanks. Tons of pins. <laughs> Sounds good when you say it like that. Yeah, so you guys have a lot of activity on here too. You know, probably more activity on here seems than than on Instagram. What's the strategy behind this? I think um, Patrick, you're mentioning a little bit about how if there's a popular pin, you guys decide to promote it. What's the uh, I guess um, starting point? Like, how do you decide what to get out there in the first place before you see what actually takes off? I think uh, for me at least, it's a lot of just getting on Pinterest and seeing what other people are pinning. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, there's some background research that I think is really important to even see like, what are the trends? What are people pinning and wanting to put in their home? Because at the end of the day, Pinterest is a discovery platform. It's an inspirational platform. Um, so you go there because you are looking for some sort of solution or um, inspiration for whatever project or outfit or whatever it is. And Pinterest is a wild and unexplored territory right now. Kelsey does all of our 
promoted pens and we put them up and we experiment with them and we see what happens. And that's largely how we figure it out. It's so much trial and error right now. The algorithms are changing almost daily, it feels like. Mm-hmm. And we're scrambling to keep up. And so far we've done, Kelsey has done a great job of that, which is really exciting. But keeping the content moving, always pinning things that we find inspirational, making sure that our boards are curated, that the top images look good is really important. And pinning then other people's pins. Yeah, repinning other people, other thought leaders, and then pinning directly from our website. And then of course, Shopify has the ability to integrate with Pinterest so that we have buyable pins and people can buy directly from Pinterest from their mobile phone. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, buyable pins are definitely uh, going to be a great channel as 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 people get on get onto it more and more. So uh, there's a dif- difference, right, between the promoted pins and the buyable pins, and obviously the I guess the more organic ones that aren't uh, being promoted or pushed. Uh, which one? Which of these uh, different? Um, I guess. Uh, strategies have worked the best for you guys. Is it the Bible pins? Is it the promoting a specific pin or like what, what's been working? I think, yeah, I think it's a happy marriage between the three, which is. But I think that you can't really have one without the other. Yeah. So I think if you, um, you know, you have this awesome promoted pin, but people go to your your Pinterest, you know, boards and they don't really feel inspired or don't really mm-hmm. feel like they're whatever they're looking for is represented, more than likely they're not really going to look at you as a thought leader in whatever industry you're in. Um, but promoted pins bring those traffic, right? Yes. But as far as just if we're strictly basing it on performance, bringing in revenue and stuff like that, promoted pins have been amazing for us. I mean, they bring in so much traffic and, you know, the returns that we see are really great as well. So um, Pinterest in, in that fact that we can very easily track our ROI. Yeah. Um, which is always since we started viable pin or sorry promoted pins has always been a greater invest uh, a greater return than our investment was right yeah and our right now of our social traffic so including Instagram Facebook all of that Pinterest makes up ninety four percent of that so wow. obviously it's a huge traffic investment website, for us yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, uh, you know, a lot of listeners out there are uh, are interested in Pinterest, um, have probably gotten their feet wet a little bit, but are very or probably not as, um, I guess, successful in there as you guys have been, have not been able to devote as much time as you guys have been on there. So for anyone out there that is thinking about getting started with Pinterest for the first time, can you just dive right into promoted pins, just like how you would go on Facebook and buy Facebook ads or go on Google and buy AdWords? Or do you need to start building up your board, building up a following first? Or can you just dive right in and just try out their promoted pinning uh, strategy? I mean, you could. I just, I, I, I don't know how... I don't think it would work for us. Yeah. yeah, I think, because I think the more we pin, the more we stay top of mind. Um, and then obviously integrating in the promoted pins, you're now getting direct traffic to your website, not just, you know, from whatever you pinned. Yeah. It's like Googling something and you don't show up in the organic feed, but you're at the top as an ad. 
Mm-hmm. People don't people don't like that, you know. Um, they don't try that. So um, it's important that we are in both sections. Yeah, and if you think about the nature of Pinterest, if someone sees something that they like, then they want to click that and find more of what they like. Yeah. So if we have a strong background on our Pinterest of, like our Pinterest specifically has a bunch of different styles of home decor. And then each one of them has not only images of what that home will look like, but our products are sprinkled into each one of those boards. So they can go find a style that they like and then find products that would match it from our website. Right there. And I don't think that without having a strong aesthetic and content-driven Pinterest that the promoted pins would do much good for you. I guess we're all saying, yeah, you've got to do the organic thing yeah. first. Because we didn't, we didn't promote a pin until probably a year and a half after we were on Pinterest. I think it's yeah. that idea of you need to establish your brand before you start advertising it. Like, yeah. I mean, in, in honestly, I think you look at every single um, social media platform as your own little storefront for that demographic. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make sense to start advertising when you don't have anything in the store or whatever metaphor you want to use, you know? Um, so the same, um, idea that we're talking about with Pinterest is the same exact thing, I guess, from a philosophy standpoint as AdWords, Facebook ads and Instagram ads are. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think I heard two things in there, two benefits of making sure you go organic first before promoting it. Uh, one thing is that you obviously want to have some brand awareness on the platform first, you know, get people to be familiar with with your aesthetic like you guys are talking about with the brand with the brand name and then from there once you it's kind of this whole upper funnel and lower funnel, I guess marketing strategy where get on there, you know, organically, you guys have over 25,000 pins, obviously building a lot of awareness and then once people understand your brand a little bit more, drive them to the store with these promoted pins that actually, you know, get in their face and kind of get them to the store. And the second thing I think, um, Patrick, you might have mentioned it, was that, again, you can learn a lot just from organic pinning, which is free, learn about what people like, and then from there you know what you should actually support money to, what you should invest your 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 budget into so you don't just, you know, promote pins that aren't not going to be successful. That, yeah, that makes sense. That, that's a great approach. Um, cool. So when you are, you know, with Pinterest, is there the, you know, with Instagram, there are influencers on there that help, you know, you grow your following that help you promote your products. Does that kind of community exist on Pinterest as well? Can you find influencers on there that will help you build up your profile quickly by, you know, paying them for pinning your stuff or can you work with influencers to post your products so that they drive traffic to your store? Is that community exists on Pinterest? I think, yeah. it, I think it does. Um, we just haven't really tapped in, into that. And a lot of that is because the influencers we work with, we usually negotiate in to the contract that they, you know, pin at least one image from their blog onto their Pinterest boards. And a lot of times that's, that's already in their kind of proposal. They, to that way. they usually pin their images to multiple boards through um, over the course of three months um, sometimes, you know, so I think there are probably, you know, just Pinterest specific influencers, but for us, we haven't really. Well, our, all the influencers that we, I say all, most of the influencers 
that we work with have big influences on Pinterest. And even if they if they're creating really good images, then people are going to their site, saving them, pinning them to their own boards. So it's it's Pinterest is viral in that way. It's it's getting pinned from every angle, and having those images is at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like I don't know, like a BuzzFeed article, you know, can yeah. be can be four years old, and all of a sudden it's on everyone's Facebook page. That's a good thing about pins. Um, pins uh, to us are more valuable than even blogs because blogs disappear, uh, Instagram photos disappear, Facebook feeds keep going, but pins don't do that so much. Yeah, pins, they're, they're, all, yeah. They're, yeah, they're always going to be there, and they're constantly growing on different people's boards, so it's almost like a, like a nice wine, like some of these pins just get better <laughs> with age. <you> know? <laughs> nice. So um, I want to talk, uh, kind of wrap this up by talking a little bit about running the store itself. You know, obviously you guys have a, a you, you, you mentioned you're a small team, but you're probably a larger team compared to a lot of the listeners out there. They're probably solo founders or or maybe one or two different people. Um, so in terms of running the entire business, what are some, you know, key apps or tools that, you know, each one of you uses or that you guys all use to make sure that the business is running smoothly? Yeah, I actually wrote some down. We use so many apps. Obviously, Shopify is app-heavy, but um, we use an app for our returns. We use an app for our blogger affiliate program. We use an app for integrating our products, Google Analytics, ShipStation, MailChimp, Spring Engage, after everything. We really like working with bold apps. They are constantly updating their apps with Shopify, and so that's that's really good. But we, we use an app for just about everything. Yeah. yeah, we have an app for customer service. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. We're looking at our apps on Shopify right now, and you know, a lot of times you try things, and then they don't. But um, the good thing about people that are um, smaller and they're using the Shopify platform is that a lot of these apps uh, have free trials. Yeah. So you can test out how it's going to work before you actually have to pay for it, um, which is something we like a lot about Shopify. And uh, if people don't know, like a lot of the apps are, you know, it's just an open market. So anybody can make an app and then submit it to Shopify and it can become um, an app that you can integrate into your store uh, pretty much seamlessly or sometimes with very little code. Cool. Yeah. So the, um, the, the blogger affiliate one, I think this one might be interesting to a lot of people out there. What, what was the, uh, the service or the product that you, or the app that you guys use for that? It's called Refersion. Um, we went through a lot of apps to find this one, and it is still a new app. There's a lot of kinks that they're working out, a lot, um, but we have enjoyed working with them. This is a new program for us. It's only been up for our affiliate program. has been up for a month and a half. Mm-hmm. We've got about 20 people on it. Um, it's new. We like the app, but it will be interesting to see where it goes in the future. Very cool. So, um, in terms of um, the the future for Walls Need Love, like, what do you guys have planned for the the next year? What can the listeners look out for? Well, we're definitely going to be um, adding um, just kind of a little self promotion here. One, the affiliate app. Anyone listening who uh, uh, is interested in anything like that, they can go to our website and click on the Discover tab. And that'll bring up two things that I want to mention. One, the affiliate um, program. Um, and then the other thing is uh, uh, there's a sell your art tab. So uh, we're constantly looking for new artists that are, um, you know, have great art and also have a great social influence to join our team. They make a commission. Um, and uh, also, I don't know if it was mentioned, the affiliate people get um, these codes. What are they called? 
the UF song. Anyway, they, they can make they can commission right based on oh, yeah, yeah. so we can track links that come from them and they can get a commission off of sales that happen from their websites or their blogs and artists get 10 percent. so yeah we really we, we try really hard to support artists and bloggers in their craft and they do the same for us so we will be using that more we'll be going to this pinterest conference and trying to dig deeper into pinterest hopefully maybe someday we'll be in some big box retailers. So we're, we're looking to expand in yeah. ways that we haven't yet. We're, we have a million things that we want to do. It's going to be really exciting over the next year. So stay a couple, tuned. A couple of immediate things that are going to happen is, uh, um, uh, we're going to have a new filter menu, which since we do have, for instance, if you clicked on murals on our website, there's 27 pages, pages of murals. Um, so we're looking at a really good, um, uh, fine-tuned filter menu that should be up soon and then also stay tuned for um, a custom upload app so basically if you wanted to put your own art or a photograph on a throw pillow you'll be able to upload your own art and then we will manufacture it and send you um, send you whatever you order very cool so thanks again so much Elizabeth Patrick Nina and Kelsey again wallsneedlove.com is the website is a store anywhere else that the listeners should check out if they want to follow along with you definitely going to link up the Pinterest definitely going to link up the Instagram I think those are going to be two great examples for businesses to follow anything else that you guys uh, think that they should check out yeah if you can sign up at the bottom of our website for 20% off your first purchase so if you're interested there you go yeah <laughs> and we love the email <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely okay awesome again thanks so much guys thank, thank you. you thanks for listening to Shopify Masters the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs to start your store today visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30 day free trial